Well, I'm reading from Exodus chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. Then Moses answered and said, What if they will not believe me, or listen to what I say? For they may say, The Lord has not appeared to you. And the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? And he said, A staff. If you've got a King James, I think it's a rod. Then he said, Throw it on the ground. So he threw it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. But the Lord said to Moses, after he got him back, Stretch out your hand and grasp, grasp it by its tail. So he stretched out his hand and caught it, and it became a staff, a rod in his hand, that they may believe that the Lord God, their, their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has appeared to you. And the Lord furthermore said to him, Now put your hand into your bosom. So he put his hand into his bosom, and when he took it out, his hand was leprous like snow. Then he said, Put your hand into your bosom again. So he put his hand into his bosom again, took it out of his bosom, and behold, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. And it shall come about that if they will not believe you, or heed the witness of the first sign, that they may believe the witness of the last sign. But it shall be that if they will not believe even those, these two signs, or heed what you say, then you shall take some water from the Nile, pour it on the ground, the water which, which you take from the Nile will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, Please, Lord, I have never been eloquent, neither recently nor in time past, nor since thou hast spoken to thy servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. And the Lord said to him, Who has made man's mouth? Or who makes him dumb or deaf or seeing or blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now then go, and I, even I, will be with you, your mouth, teach you what you're to say. But he said, Please, Lord, now send the message by whomever thou wilt. There is a theme to the book of Exodus. You tell me what it is. Redemption. Appreciate my staff. <laughs> getting these things right. The theme of the book of Exodus is redemption. There is a principle that we need to uh, nail down again and again to emphasize it, that you get the principles of the Christian life in the New Testament, and in the Old Testament you get the pictures of those principles. So what you get in principle in the New Testament, you get pictured in the Old Testament. And when you grasp that concept, the Old Testament will come alive. Because what it says is that you have in the Old Testament dispensation a forecast, a, a picture, a foregleaming of what is to come. And so we have in types and in illustration form that which is yet to be. 
But in the New Testament era, you can find these great New Testament principles and truth, and you can turn to the Old Testament and see them illustrated. So you have the principle in the New Testament, and you have the picture in the Old Testament. Let me, be, let me bring you up to date as to where we are in this particular uh, text. Moses has taken matter in his own hands, and he slew a man. He was seen. He didn't know it. He, he fled to the backside of the desert. And he lived for 40 years at the rear. The Bible says it's a dra- graphic description. The, at the rear of the desert. It means on the other side of the wilderness. Moses lived for 40 years. Now I want you to get this scenario. Here is a man who has the finest education and the finest connections. He has friends in high places. He has the finest personality. This guy is a dynamic man, and he has the finest background to equip him to deliver the children of God, and he's on the backside of a desert. And every day he gets up, and he does the same thing over and over again. He takes his father-in-law's sheep out to pasture, and he brings them back day after day after day for 40 years. Now, if you didn't know the story of Moses and you heard about a man who had these credentials, finest background, finest personality, finest education, finest connections, and he spends 40 years tending sheep on the backside of the desert, what do you think about that man? Well, you think he's wasting his life. I mean, what a waste. You've got a person here who is the best person that in the, in the world to deliver people from bondage. And what is he doing? He's out here on the backside of the desert tending sheep. What a waste of talent. It's not a waste. For in that 40 years, God was shaping this man to do exactly what God wanted this man to do. And sometimes we have to allow God all the time it takes us to shape us. Now the fact is, listen to me, that the finest education and the finest connections and the finest personality and the finest background does not qualify you to do the work of God. Now why did Moses fail? Was it because his intentions were not proper? No, his intentions were proper. Was it because his commitment was faulty? No, he had a tremendous commitment. The author of the book of Hebrews said that he chose to suffer with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. His commitment was was not faulty. Was it because he was not qualified? He was highly qualified. Was it because he didn't have enough education? No, it wasn't that. It was that he sought to do the work of God in his own strength. The thing that disqualifies a man up front from doing the work of God is to try to do the work of God in his own strength. And the difference here, now watch this, is the difference between a person who wants to do something for the Lord, a person who wants to go out and do the best he can for God, 
And a person who is willing to wait on God and see God at work and get in on it. Perhaps his greatest weakness was his strength. Now after this encounter with God in the third chapter, chapter 4 begins, opens with this reluctance of Moses to go back to Egypt. Now in this 40-year period of time, as God was shaping him, he was humbling him, and his, his, his um, confidence was greatly depreciated after 40 years on the backside of the desert, and he was afraid. And that fear is highly appropriate. What he feared was that it would be the same old thing again. What he feared was he'd go back to Egypt and it'd be the same old way as it was before. I'm speaking to some people tonight who are tired of the same old way it has always been. And if somehow you could have some kind of guarantee that something could happen to you and you could get in on something that would change the way it has always been, I think most of us would get in on it. We're tired of the same old way it's always been. And so God spoke to Moses. He said, what do you got in your hand? He said, a rod. Now before we go a step farther, let me tell you what that was. Keller has a great book. You've read it. It's a bestseller called The Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm. This is what he said about a shepherd's rod. Listen to this. Each shepherd boy, from the time he first starts to tend his father's flock, takes special pride in the selection of a rod and staff exactly suited to his own size and strength. He goes into the bush and selects a young sapling which is dug from the ground. This is carved and whittled down with great care and patience. The enlarged base of the sapling where its trunk joins the roots is shaped into a smooth, rounded head of hard wood. The sapling itself is shaped to exactly fit the owner's hand. After he completes it, the shepherd boy spends hours practicing with this club, learning how to throw it with amazing speed and accuracy. It becomes his main weapon of defense for both himself and his sheep. Now watch this. The rod was, in fact, an extension of the owner's own right arm. It stood as a symbol of his strength, his power, his authority in any serious situation. Now what happens here is that God is confronting Moses with this rod, which is an extension of him. This is Moses. Let me see if I can put it in language that you might be able to identify with if you love westerns. I think Ed reads these western novels. If you've ever seen any of these westerns, you know these gunslingers, they got their rod. It's interesting, that's what it's called in a you know, in the, uh, kind of slang. I mean, these, this, this rod is the extension of the person. Now there's something going on here. Now watch this. When God confronts Moses with his rod, there's more than just a stick a boy used. 
He's talking about that which is the symbol of the man himself. It is him. This is his own right arm. This is the symbol of his sufficiency and authority and power. This is his resource for life. You need to nail that right now. And God said, now throw that down. And when it did, it became a snake. And God must have said, get back here, Moses. He did what I would have done. He took off and, and, and ran. And God said, pick it up. And, 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 and Moses, um, no question about it, must have argued with him. He said, pick it up by the tail. You don't pick up a, a, a snake by the tail. Moses must have said to God, it's not in here, but it's in the margin. He said... He, he said, uh, what's going to happen if I pick this snake up by the tail? What's going to happen on the business end of this snake? You pick up a snake behind his head if you've seen people handle them. But he picked the snake up by its tail, and all of a sudden, it became a rod. Now get this picture, please. Same man, same rod. The difference is that now this rod is God's. And before it could do only what Moses could do, and now this rod can do what God can do. What before could, could only accomplish what Moses could accomplish, now this rod can accomplish what the God of heaven could accomplish. Now, if there is a New Testament picture, a New Testament principle with an Old Testament picture, this Old Testament picture is this. Write it down. This is a picture of what happens to a man when he's filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the picture of what happens to a man when he surrenders the control of his life to God. And that's the, that's the story here. Now, if you'll just jump down, right, parenthetically, I want you to look with me at verse 17 of chapter 4. Now, this rod was called Moses' rod, but in verse 17 it says, And you shall take in your hand this rod. It, go, it goes from Moses' rod to this rod. And in verse 20, note, look at it. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey. He returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the rod of God in his hand. And so this rod no longer is Moses, the extension of Moses' arm. This rod is the extension of Almighty God's arm. And it is the picture of what happens when a person commits his life to the control of the Holy Spirit. Now that's, that's the runway. We motored that way, we're fixing to take off, and here are seven propositions. No three-pointer tonight, baby. <laughs> seven propositions. Now we'll try to get them as quick as we can. Proposition one. God always begins with us where we are and what we have in our hand. In other words, God is calling on Moses to assess his spiritual condition. It's not what were you. There's some people who 
who always live in the past. Back when I grew up, you know, back in my home church before I got to college, man, I was uh, that kind of thing. I remember when it used to be, and we love to live in the yesterdays of life. It's not what you used to be or what you were. It's not what you hope to be someday. Some of us live in the tomorrows. And while we mark time with the present, we got these grandiose plans about the future, of what we one day will be. John Newport told me when I was in the, in the seminary about a guy who came forward in a worship service and surrendered to be a missionary to the moon. The guy said, well... That's great, boy. He said, we're probably going to need missionaries on the moon in about the year 3000, but we probably need you to be a missionary to your campus dormitory. It's always something in the future, isn't it? It's always something in the past. And so God says to Moses, Moses, it's time for you to forget about yesterday and tomorrow and assess where you are now. I mean, what are you really? When the mask is off and the facade is removed and the, and the game is over, what are you, the real you? For you'll never be able to get where you want to go until you determine where you are now. It's, the time, it's time for us to assess our spiritual condition. How is it with you tonight? We're talking about not the was or the will be. We're talking about the is. How is it with you tonight? He begins with us where we are and what we have in our hand. What kind of habits are in your... What is the truth about you? What kind of experience are you having with God? Can you relate to that? Proposition 2. There's something of the nature of the serpent about anything not thrown down to become God's exclusive property. There's something about that has the nature of the serpent in it that's not given to God entirely. Now you don't have to read too far in Exodus to know that the serpent here the characteristic of the serpent is toxic and treacherous. There's something poisonous and dangerous about anything in your life that you've not surrendered to God. It may be possessions. It may be things. I'll tell you what. Those things that are not surrendered to God will one day curse you. Now here is a preacher or a teacher who uses his talent, his life is not surrendered to the Lord, that talent will one day be his death. It may be your own family or your plans. Anything that's not surrendered to God has the snake about it. It has the hiss of sin about it. It's toxic and treacherous. So if you're holding on to something that you've not yet given to God, I promise you that'll come back to haunt you one day. Proposition three. 
Once it has become God's exclusive property, then He has the prerogative to return it if He wishes. He has the prerogative, once you give Him what you have, He has the prerogative then to give it back to you. That's the wonder of this. Um, I remember the, one of the first things that I learned, that I learned from Gib Dalzell, and I've learned a lot from Coach, Coach Dalzell. By the way, we're very fortunate to have a man like him in this town. And uh, I'm with him, win or tie. <laughs> no, I'm with him, period. I'm telling you what, if he never, if his team never won another game, they will, they will win. But if they never did, it wouldn't mean a make a bitter difference to me how I feel about that godly man. One of the first things I learned from him, he doesn't even know this, but he was talking one day, and this is what he said. He said, "A talent is never yours until you give it to God, and He gives it back to you." Now you say, well, I have this talent. No, you don't. That is never yours until you surrender it to God. He gives it back to you. And when you give Him this which you have, that you're in, blessed with, with which you're blessed, then He has the prerogative to give it back to you. Well, you see, God is not interested in taking from your life. I used to think He was. I used to think that what God wanted was just to... You know, to rob me of my joy and kind of cramp my style, you know. And anybody who runs from God has the same perception of God that He's going to cramp our style and take away the fun, make life miserable. He's not interested in doing that. What He's interested in is working in our lives with the things He's given us and using them for His glory and in His power. That's what He's interested in. There's nothing wrong with this rod. Is that it's just that there's nothing can be accomplished with this rod until He gives it to God. Except what Moses is able to do in his own energy. Now this is what Ephesians chapter 1 is talking about from the living, from the J.B. Phillips translation. I want to read Ephesians chapter 1 verse 9 and 10. Listen to this. For God has allowed us to know the secret of His plan and it is this. He purposes in His sovereign will that all human history shall be consummated in Christ, that everything that exists in heaven or earth shall find its perfection and fulfillment in Him. Now let me tell you what, what Paul is saying there. He's saying that when you give this which God has allowed you to have back to Him, then He gives it to you in perfection and fulfillment. Alright, proposition, is it four? Proposition four. When we pick up that which has become God's property, we always need to hold it lightly. With snakes, 
on the farm, I'm guarantee you, if I hold one, it'll be very lightly. <laughs> so I'll find a dead one. But, but as far as I'm concerned, they're never dead. <laughs> and, and I'm going to get that baby, and I'm going to hold it lightly, and I'm going to hold it for a brief period of time. <laughs> now, when you take that which God gives, hold it lightly, it means that you need to be aware, aware or to beware because it is only as it is only ours as long as it's God's and we recognize that. Now listen to me carefully. You say, what is he talking about? You need to hold on to those possessions lightly and understand that they're yours only as long as you recognize they're God's. And you need to hold this time that God gives you lightly and understand that this time that God has given you to live, this 24 hours of this day, is, is precious, a precious possession. And you need to be very careful with it. We're talking about stewardship. And the issue here is, who gets the glory? For I have a feeling that if I use this time that God gives me, this 24 hours, and I take these possessions that God has allowed me to use, and I use this talent or ability that God has given me and you, and I handle that lightly, and I use it to get Him glory, then there's no limit to what I can do. Proposition 5. Three more and we're out of here. You're counting. I can see some of you on your finger. <laughs> Checking them off on your book, I see. Expect the results. Expect the results to manifest the works of God. Now, this thing builds, and I, 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 I uh, enjoy kind of being just home folks here on Sunday night, but I, this, this gets serious. When, when this life of ours is, is committed to the Lord and you lay down before Him all that you own, all you have, and there's nothing held back, you can start to expect the miraculous. See that guy sitting in the service this morning? Had that uh, rock music t-shirt on and that beard and that cap. I was walking down the hall and I saw him sitting in the workroom. I thought he was probably wanting a handout, so I went in there and asked him if, if there's any way I could help him. This is what he said, quote, I need a miracle. I need a miracle. I said, okay. And then uh, passed that one on by. I said, well, are you going to stay for church? He said, I wouldn't miss it. He said, I'm going to be in church. He said, I'm going to be in church because I need to see a miracle. Well, I'm not so sure that we need to see a miracle. But I am sure that we need to see something more than what man can do, the miraculous. And I have a feeling 
that when a person is willing to surrender his life to God, he begins to see evidence in his life that can only be explained in terms of the supernatural. Is there anything about your life that can only be explained in terms of the miraculous? Is there anything about this church and what it does that cannot be explained apart from the miraculous work of the Spirit of God? That's what I'm talking about. And that's what he's talking about in verse 17 when he says, You take this rod, and with this rod there will be signs. And signs were the evidence that authenticated the activity of God. That's what Nicodemus was talking about when he came to Jesus. He said, we know you're a teacher sent from God because no man could do these signs except God is with him. And what he's saying is, is that when a person commits his life to the control of the Holy Spirit, there begins to be in his life the evidence of the miraculous And through this rod, plagues were called down upon Egypt. And with each plague, a death blow was inflicted upon another section of Egyptian theology. For the power of God had taken the field. Wouldn't it be great if our work, which is so predictable and explainable, would suddenly take on the evidence of the miraculous? Let me tell you when that will happen. When you throw down yourself to God. Proposition 6. The key to continuing with God is the use of the rod. Now there are three crises that came in the life of Moses. I was going to read them. Let me just give you the verses. There are three crises that came in the life of Moses. One is found in the 14th chapter, beginning at verse 13. It's when they came to the sea, the Red Sea, and the Egyptians were pursuing them. And God told Moses, He said, Stand still and see the, the, the work of God. And He said, You raise up your rod over the sea. And when He did, the sea parted. Here's the principle illustrated. The fullness of the Spirit liberates you from bondage. I love it. The fullness of the Spirit liberates you from bondage, gets you out of Egypt. Second crisis came in the 17th chapter of Exodus, and they were in the wilderness of Rephidim, and they were starving. And God said, take this rod and strike the rock. And water came out, and they drank. Principle number two illustrated. The fullness of the Spirit shall supply every need you have. And the third crisis came In the 8th verse of that same chapter, 17, and the Amalekites, the army of the Amalekites came against them, and, and, and Moses and Joshua went out, and they lifted up the rod and won the battle. And the principle illustrated is that the fullness of the Spirit 
will stop your enemies. Proposition 7, and we're through. Wrong usage of the rod is tragic. Wrong usage of the rod is tragic. Anything other than the fact that you want to be submissive and obedient with regard to your surrendering to the Holy Spirit is the wrong usage of the power of the Holy Spirit. Now there are illustration after illustration of that in the New Testament. For example, if you read in the book of Acts, people who saw Paul doing all these miracles and they wanted to know how they could have the Holy Spirit so they could perform the miracle. Now let me say something and I don't want you to misunderstand me. If you're seeking the infilling of the Holy Spirit so you can speak in tongues, you're on the wrong path. And if you're seeking the infilling of the Holy Spirit so you can feel better or so you can perform something supernatural that will bring attention and glory to you, it's the wrong usage of the thrown-down life. But if a person wants to throw his life down before God so that God can get glory in him, it'll happen. And I want you to turn to the book of Numbers for the illustration of this. The book of Numbers, chapter 20. And the verses are 8 through 10. And God is speaking to Moses to say, Take the rod and your, and your brother, Aaron. Assemble the congregation and speak to the rock before their eyes. Underline, speak. And speak to the rock before their eyes that it may yield its water. Thus you shall thus bring forth water from out of the rock and let the congregation and their beasts drink. They're griping and groaning and complaining. So Moses took the rod from before the Lord just as he had commanded him. And Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly before the rock and he said to them, Oh no, Moses don't. He said what some of us would like to say, you lousy soils, that's what he was, well, it, it's, it's a tidbit paraphrase. He said, you, you rebels, shall we, shall we bring forth water from out of this rock? Underline we, shall we do this? And, there, and Moses is venting his frustration and his anger. Then Moses lifted up his hand and struck the rock twice with the rod. And he did it. He disobeyed God. He didn't do it like God planned, planned for him to do. Submissive obedience. That's the key. Now here's the application. Write it down. Once everything in your life is thrown down before the Lord, 
He in you can control your life, govern your behavior, and direct your destiny. The question is, is everything His? Let's pray together. Our Father, we're so grateful that we have this illustration of what the New Testament principle of the Spirit-filled life is about. And some of us are standing in the very place Moses stood, confronting our own condition in our own life. Help us, Lord, to be honest with ourselves and with you. Take a look at what we hold on to for ourselves and be tonight to place it all at your feet. To take back that which you've given, we've given to you. To be different. To have the evidence of the divine upon it. For I pray in Jesus' name, in the spirit of prayer tonight, there are three invitations. I want to invite you to come and give your heart and life to Jesus Christ. All that He wants of you tonight is your faith. Your faith in Him. Is your faith placed in baptism or church membership or good works? He wants your faith in Him. I want to ask you to come tonight and give your life to Christ totally. If you're there are things in your life that are not surrendered to Him. You know those things. He wants them tonight. Or maybe to join this church, that commitment, while we stand to sing, we invite you to come.